This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play. It's not easy when you, you know, you come out of uh, out of a Christmas break. Well, they're down there with the COVID protocols and all all the above. So, for for those two guys to come in and uh, especially Max step in right in and and help us and play well and uh, and give us a chance. He you know he did a great job. All we are saying is give these guys a chance. And they are getting wins left and right. The Lightning atop the standings. That was Corey Perry. Taking on a team who's only four points behind them in the standings. That would be the Florida Panthers. You know, a lot of people would say before the season started that these were the two best teams in the league. And through all of the adversity and COVID protocols, as I bring my broadcast partner Dave Michigan in, and I'm Greg Linnelli along with Steve Ersnick. Dave, through all of that adversity that every team is facing, I think it's fair to say through, what, 30 games or so that you know, those prognostications have been pretty spot on when it comes to these two teams. Certainly, I think the Florida Panthers have had, you know, maybe a little bit more up and down play this season for whatever reason. But these are two teams that I think are, are where a lot of people thought they would be at this point in the season. Well, the Panthers had to deal with a coaching change, and it wasn't due to poor play, certainly. It was unexpected. It was sudden. And they didn't seem to to miss a beat when Andrew Burnett first took over the head coaching duties. But they did hit, I guess we would call a rough patch by their standards because they've had a very good year to this point. But they had a little bit of a speed bump, I think, in December where maybe even before then. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to say for certain because, like, I'm not following their team shift by shift I'm just kind of keeping an eye on the box scores but it seemed like they were outscoring their problems for maybe a couple of weeks and then they they stopped outscoring their problems but the problems were still there in that they were giving up three plus goals a game so they're one of the highest scoring teams in the league Greg they come into this game third in goals scored per game but they are giving up goals, too. Even last night, I mean, they gave up three to the Rangers. They scored four. So we have seen this with the Lightning before. When you get off to such a hot start, it sometimes it's hard to just keep the, your gas pedal pressed down. <laughs> and, and you do have some leaky parts that sometimes creep into your game, and you need to correct those. And I guess we're going to find out in the coming weeks if the Panthers are still winning games, and if they're winning games, are they winning them 5-4 and 4-3? I mean, they lead the league in third-period comeback wins, which is really impressive. They've got, what, six? Six. Yeah. But the flip side of that is, you know, you don't want to be down in the third period. <laughs> you don't want to have to win a game when you're down in the third period. The Lightning have had a few of those this year as well. So you know I think it's been a great year for the Panthers. But I think there's no question that their their October and start of November was more buttoned up than what we have seen more recently. And how much is the coaching change tied to that? It could it could I'm not be not blaming a great deal. Andrew Burnett, but you're yeah, taking right. Joe Quenville Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer yeah, Hall away of Famer. from that team. Hall of Famer. And you know, when that happened, that needed to be talked about a little bit more. I think we did mention it when he was fired. You know, how would that change the dynamic? I, George Richards, I think, was was somebody who felt like when we brought that up to him that that was a fair point. Hall of Fame coach, 
you take him out of that locker room because that can disrupt a lot of things. I mean, just think if if John Cooper was taken away from the Tampa Bay Lightning. I think the Lightning would handle it a lot better than most teams because of that leadership in the locker room. They've been there, done that. Florida hasn't. And so now you take that dynamic away with the Hall of Fame head coach. There's a little bit of a comfort there knowing you have a guy behind the bench who's been there, done that. The other thing too, Dave, that is going to come back to be a question for me when it comes to this Panthers team. And you know how I, I looked at the series last year, really the last two years when it came to who Tampa Bay played. A lot of times for me, it was just, I think Tampa Bay is the more talented team. I think they'll eventually come out on top. But with the Islanders, it was, what are you going to do with your elite players coming through in big moments? Did they have enough scoring? With some of the other teams, was it goaltending? Would they be able to get the right goaltending? With the Panthers, we saw they they went through three in that series against the Lightning. And obviously, Spencer Knight came out of that, and a lot of people looked at him and said, is he the guy to get us over the hump? I'm wondering, and and time will tell, for me it's always going to be the goaltending with the Panthers, but what you brought up, all right, so is this just, you know, the ebbs and flows of a season where they're not maybe playing as well defensively as they were earlier, or just in general not playing as well? Are they a team before the Lightning went on their back-to-back run, where maybe they relied on their goaltending a bit too much, maybe defensively they weren't as buttoned up as you would like to have seen, are they kind of in that phase right now? Or, again, is this just a little blip, and once this team gets in the playoffs again, you're going to see this team be really good defensively, understanding that they're going to get hopefully solid goaltending, whether that's Bobrovsky or Knight. But for me, Dave, I think those are two question marks, and maybe they go hand-in-hand. Hand. Who's your starting goaltender come crunch time? Why are the goaltenders perhaps maybe struggling a bit? And defensively, is this a team that is not where they need to be? Is it not championship caliber to complement that offense? And we'll talk to Doug Plagans about that coming up in about 15 minutes. Yeah. The other part of it, too, Greg, which can't be minimized, is that Barkov has missed 13 games this year, and 12 of those came in the previous 13 games before they paused their season. He's back now. So remember yesterday I, I was saying Barkov, he wasn't on the COVID list. He was not on the COVID list. He missed, I think it was eight games with an injury, came back, played one, and then sat out four more. Mm-hmm. Apparently he got re-injured. We'll ask Doug about that. But you're not only taking Quenville out, you're also taking Barkov out. And Barkov's absence has coincided with some of these trends that we're talking about. I mean... This guy won the Selkie Trophy last year. <laughs> He's one of the best players in the league. And if you're going to take him out, there may be a ripple effect from that. They're still doing well. I mean, they're still getting points. But it's kind of like we talk about the Lightning's power play without Kucherov, right? Like, of course. You can't just say, we're taking Kucherov out of the power play and we're just going to keep rolling right along. He makes a difference. Barkov makes a difference to the Panthers. They're a much deeper team now than they were even two, three, four years ago when it was mostly Barkov and Huberto, and they didn't have as as deep a supporting cast. Now they are an extremely deep team, but Barkov, to me, is still the, the straw that stirs the drink for them. 
So let's get into some changes to the lineup again tonight, Dave. Because yeah. We're starting to get and the protocol changes and the protocol changes. Correct. And, you know, this is a fluid situation, too. So uh, Brian Burns has been tweeting out some guys who, Dave, are in COVID protocol. But it does look like before we get into those players, John Cooper is out of it. Yeah. And will be behind the bench tonight, which is good. News. Which goes to it may go to the new protocols for sure, because Belmar is out of it, too, for sure. As much as I can say for sure, Belmar is out of the protocol isolation because of, of the changes Yes, to the protocols. And well, it, should we get into that? Yeah, let's get get well, well, get, in, me, let's get into some of the players, yeah. too, because it looks like Calfoot yeah, and Taylor Calfoot Radish. and Taylor Radish and Franjan are going Franjan. on the list. Correct. And but Dave Randorf. And Dave Randorf. <laughs> By the way, I talked to Dave yes. yesterday because he, right? he found out he he tested positive. He's feeling fine, just has to isolate. And with these new protocols, I mean, it's five days. So hopefully, after five days, he'll be he'll be cleared. Before we get into the changes, I wanna I wanna clarify something that we mentioned at the end of the show yesterday. Yes. I said I didn't see this in the document. I've heard it. I found it in the document. I, I was. The document. I brought out my, my <laughs> comb, and I was like yes. going through line by line. So when a player has tested positive but then has recovered, mm -hmm. I'm going to find the exact line here. For players, club personnel who continue to test. No, that's wrong. <laughs> it's 90 days. Yes. Uh it's it's a big binder you're looking. All right, at yeah, it was in the first Go paragraph. I, that was that was one of the caveats. In the event a player or another member of the club personnel is confirmed positive for COVID nineteen and therefore has been cleared to return to player work, ongoing screening with PCR testing is unnecessary for the next ninety days, as PCR based testing results may remain positive for a prolonged period of time after resolution of symptoms with unknown significance. However, if the player then later starts showing symptoms of COVID-19, yes. then he does have to be tested. So okay. basically, this is what we were talking about at the end of the show yesterday. Now I feel confident saying it because I, I see it in the document. The players, and John Cooper in this instance, who have left isolation now no longer have to be tested for 90 days unless they start exhibiting symptoms. So that's a so, nice little buffer, assuming you don't have symptoms. <laughs> assuming you don't have right. symptoms, which yeah. is kind of what a lot yeah. of the players were talking about. You know, right. I feel fine. Why do I need to be tested? Well, if you've gone through this process and come out the other side, you get three months. That has always been in the document. Yes. That was not a change, but the fact that they've shortened the amount of time that a player or club member, let's say, has to isolate you know, the 90 days doesn't change. They didn't reduce that as well. It's not like they said, well, now we're going to 30 days or 40 days. It's still 90 days. So what happened was they changed. So let me back up. The previous protocol standards that we went through in depth earlier in the week, <laughs> if a player is asymptomatic, he needs two negative tests 24 hours apart. The PCR tests, which I think are the ones they, they send out for to a lab, mm -hmm. not on the location. There's also the POC test, which is, I think, an acronym for point of contact. 
But basically, that's the one they do right then and there. So it's a quicker test. So if you're asymptomatic, you needed two negative tests 24 hours apart. If you were symptomatic, you needed both to isolate for 10 days minimum and be removed from symptoms for 24 hours. That has now changed. Now, whether you're asymptomatic or not, you only have to isolate for five days. And after five days, all you need is one negative PCR test or two of these POC tests that can be done more quickly. The results can be gone more quickly and they have to be two hours apart. So theoretically, you could test at 8 a.m. And if, it, if it's negative, then you can test at 10 a.m. And if it's negative, you're good to go. They also added the viral load component, which we talked about with the NFL. So even if your PCR test is still positive, if your viral load number is 30 or higher or higher than 30, that works the same as a negative test, which is this part about like how contagious are you? And they're determining that if your your number is 30 or higher, you are no longer contagious. So just because you get to five days doesn't mean that you're like get out of jail. <laughs> you still need the negative test. But I think what we may be seeing, Greg, is players and coaches coming off the isolation list sooner. And I think Belmar is certainly an example of that. We don't know exactly when he tested positive. The Lightning announced it on when? The 26th, was it? Mm -hmm. Or the 27th? But clearly if he's off, his first positive test was earlier than that because today is, what, the 30th. So he had his five days, produced a negative test. He's good to go. Coop would have been at, what, day nine today. The other part of this too, Greg, is now you just have to isolate at most for 10 days. Yeah. So Coop would have been good to come off under these new standards the 21st to the 31st. I mean, if I'm doing my math right, if they're counting like the clock starts ticking from the moment you had your first positive test, he should have been cleared by tomorrow morning, the 31st. Yes. But he got cleared before then because he he was able to come up with that. Belmar, Negative test, way. and you can still have symptoms. Yeah. You can't have a fever, but if your symptoms are what they call resolving, this is from the CDC that the NHL has adopted this language, you could still have, let's say, a runny nose. But if your runny nose is trending in the right direction and you come up with that, that negative test or the, the viral load standard is met or whatever, you can come off isolation. So I think we're going to start to see players coming off much sooner which is a really positive well i think you're also positive sign i gotta be honest you're also seeing uh, different rules for different bodies of work and i think that's kind of where we're headed here because obviously and the the other part i didn't mention was the local municipality has to agree with it so it may be different in florida versus california versus ontario versus quebec what that is, is another part that I didn't mention, which what is, is it a three month is it a three month quarantine now in Canada? <laughs> <laughs> compared compared to what's happening around. But honestly, I think I think that's kind of where we're headed with this. And I, I think it makes sense. I mean, I think leagues have to do what they have to do to keep the safety of the players yeah. in their best mind. But also too, they want to play some games. And I think they want to have these guys in. Like uh, Belmar Dave uh, was quoted, and this is coming from Gabby Shirley's account. He said 
on how he felt after testing positive, he said, I felt like nothing was wrong, really, to be honest. I felt fine, but it's been a little different, you know, spending Christmas in a room on lockdown, trying not to get my family contaminated, which we know is is very hard to do anyways, because it's a very contagious virus. But I, you're starting to see the leagues, and when I say the leagues, we've seen the NBA, the NFL, the NHL specifically, you know, try and tinker with the quarantine period, maybe the testing mm-hmm. and the protocols in place. And Dave, I, I think that's all geared towards getting these games in where you don't have multiple players being outs, where the competitive advantage now, the product declines. I, I think athletes are different than everyday human beings. You know, these guys, as I, one of the points I, I tried to make during this whole thing, when these guys even were going in the bubble and there was some skepticism about even playing during there, was that these guys were going to have the medical attention that not many people had in everyday life. They were going to be constantly monitored by doctors, physicians, and people from around the league to make sure what they were doing was in the best interest of the players while at the same time trying to finish off the season. And I think what they're doing right now, and it's smart, I I think this is the way to go if you want to finish the season in a timely manner, is you understand more about this virus. You are tinkering with the protocols as you continue to get more information and because of this virus dave different than the first one we saw it feels like guys can maybe power through without compromising their health more than the previous one and that because of that i think you're going to see even more tinkering with the protocols as we continue that may happen in february it may happen in march it feels like that's where we're headed but certainly What's going on in the NHL is a lot different than what's going on in the Lanelli household in terms of, you know, testing or the Michigan sure. household. And I think that, but I think that's well, as smart. private citizens, I think we are smart. not told to test every day. We are Correct. told to test if you've had close contact or if you start feeling symptoms. No doubt. Which was one of the biggest complaints the players were having is like, I don't have symptoms. Why am I being tested? And I think the NHL and the NFL and the NBA. Or let's say you have a big gathering and yes. you want to ensure that. Everyone's negative going into that gathering. I, I didn't mean to leave that out, but I think most people use common sense like, okay, I have a sore throat. I should get tested, right? Or yes, I was just with somebody who tested positive. I should get tested. And I think that is something everybody is still coping with, dealing with. But the players, let's be clear, I mean, they are on constant surveillance, Dave, with all of this. And so I think the league is looking at it and saying, all right, Here's the information we have. We're going to tinker a little bit more. Let's see how this goes. And if this goes well, you know, maybe they maybe they change things up a bit more. But I think I think we all agree this is a good first step, I think, for mm-hmm. the league trying to get back to normal while at the same time getting that input from the players who want to play and also protecting them as well. We've been really complimentary of how the league has handled this from from the get-go in the different ways that they have handled it, whether it was setting up the bubble tournament or doing it division only last year, like trying to trying to find a way to to get a season in, understanding there was a whirlwind going on around them and they had to navigate through it. And I think this is just another example. And look, I understand the league has taken some criticism, criticism from you know, we'll say players complaining about what you were just talking about. Like, why am I having to sit if I feel fine? We had the Brad Marsh and 
message a couple of days ago about the Olympics. There are some players that are really upset about that. But I think understanding that you're never going to make everybody happy. This is just another example of how the league has, if not threaded the needle, I think they've they've done the best they possibly can under these circumstances. So what are you trying to accomplish with the the testing and, and having players isolate? First of all, you want to make sure the player is going to be okay. Second of all, you want to make sure that the player is not spreading it to his teammates or anybody else that might be around that player. And third of all, you have to obey by the standards that the different municipalities have put in place. You can't just ignore what a region has established for its community. And I think these new protocols do all of this. Basically, what they're, what they're looking to do is saying to a player, once we're confident that you're going to be okay and that you're not going to spread it around, which is the, the testing part, but also that the local municipality has to sign off on it. They are acknowledging that they can't just make this decision on their own, so they made as much of a decision as they could, but they are also deferring to where a player is. And I think that's the way they they were able. Remember, we we're talking about this. You know, well, Canada is listen. Canada that's what, has that's these what Kalorn rules. said. That's what Kalorn said. said it. Right? Yeah, I heard it too. That it, you know, Lou Lamarillo said about the testing of asymptomatic players. You know, if not for Canada, maybe we'd look at it. But we have seven member teams in Canada, so this is a non-starter. Well, so what did the league do? They said, "All right, these are our rules, but our rules are going to take a back seat." to what the local community has in place. I think yeah. that's that's as well as the league could have done. I mean, if somebody is going to try and tell me that there's more they could have done here to try and shorten the amount of time for isolation while at the same time acknowledging that this is an extremely contagious variant and different areas have different rules, I don't know how they could have done any better. Yeah, the uh, the local municipality. I'm sure somebody thing. will tell me. <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, us, just, we have but, we have 40 more minutes here, Dave. We'll, we'll I know. Well, in. we've got Doug coming up, yeah, fortunately. But you up tell up. me. I mean, is there more the league could have done to kind of check all the boxes here? I think it just you know what, Dave. Well, that's probably for another show. I, I think you and I have had these discussions before. I think some of this too is is the out, outward pressure of what's going on in the everyday world. I don't think you were going to see a sports team. And I was more aggressive than than most on this, is that while – and I think you're starting to see some of this come out, is that how tough these guys were performing in a bubble and, and the yeah. mental health. I, I think the the league who was more inclined to look at this and say, okay, let's look at the data. Let's look at data that's relevant to – young athletes in the prime of their careers. The first one to do that and kind of get outside the bubble, so to speak, and power through and say, listen, we're going to have some testing, but here's here's kind of how flexible we're going to be with the testing, I think would have been a real trailblazer in all of this. I think every league, and I can't blame them because there was outward pressure politically, I'm sure, from a lot of different areas that you kind of have to follow what the, the government is is suggesting. 
But I think what we're finding out here through two years of this, Dave, and I understand each variant is different, is that probably in this specific age range, these athletes weren't that susceptible to having something catastrophic happen to them. And so if you take that information, what would that mean for them playing and playing in front of crowds and things like that? Could that have been handled differently? I don't know. That's up to each team. I probably would have looked at it a little bit differently, but I understand why they didn't. And because you're dealing with crowds and whether they're vaccinated or not, what does the vaccine mean? I think there's a lot of information these teams had to digest. And quite frankly, Dave, I don't know if the leagues were were built to handle all of that information coming in at once. I don't know if they were equipped to handle, in addition to what they're doing with their operations and, and trying to get their league off the ground and, and get the players playing. Now you're adding a medical component to all of this that was constantly changing, not only for them, but for all of us. Mm-hmm. I don't know if teams and, and leagues are equipped to handle that quickly. And so I think we're seeing probably the process of a big entity digesting all of this information and probably being slower to react with the information given. But I think that's just because of how big these leagues are. Yeah, and it's hard for a, it's hard for a league to be a trailblazer in this instance in terms of setting protocols that may be way more aggressive than what even the most lenient of communities may have set well, up. Right. And that, I, and I guess the I mean. way, yeah. I guess the way I look at it is like, you know, you as a private citizen have, have, you know, your opinions and your beliefs as do I, as does Gary Bettman, sure. but what Gary Bettman or Bill Daly or Don fear might feel individually is separate from the role that they have as commissioner or deputy commissioner or the head of the PA commissioner of the NHL or, or, or the head of the Players Association. And in that role, I think the three things they have to ensure is player safety, trying to contain spread, and acknowledging the the systems that are set up in the, in the different regions where their member teams exist. And I think that's fair. I actually And think- that's their role as, you know, heads of of a league or you know i'm including the pa in here because the pa had signed off on it so uh, again like i i see a lot of commentary about they should have done this or or why are we doing this like it's it's a complicated hard problem and you're right you're right it's a big league it's a big well you've got a lot of these are big problems yeah and a lot of it too again you're looking at it from federal government point of view as well, it's That's it would what be I mean. yeah. it would be hard for a league and look it, it it would take you know what to come out and do things a little differently than maybe what the CDC is recommending, or the federal government is is recommending. And I think everybody wanted to make sure that they were doing things the right way. And look, lawsuits I'm sure in the background if something went awry uh, were kind of lurking in the background. These guys are all lawyers; they understand the implications that if you do something that wasn't recommended. There is a lawsuit out there, and you certainly don't want that to happen. John Cooper, by the way, said from his understanding, all of the Bolts COVID cases have been symptom-free. This is coming from Brian Burns as well. So, again, mm-hmm. we're just we're getting some of this information as quickly as possible. I actually think containing the spread is harder based off of what we're seeing from this variant. I think the first and third suggestions, Dave, that you brought up, absolutely 100%. I think that's the league's in the league's best interest. I also think, too, though, being practical about this, the minute these leagues decided to come back and play, 
I think there was a certain level of, yes, we need to come back and, and salvage the rest of our, our sport because we're losing money. I think to me that was a another way of saying, all right, this is highly contagious. Yes, it affects certain age groups more than others, and it is serious. I think the minute they all decided to come back, to me that signaled they were a little comfortable playing with this variant or even virus out there in the public. And I think that's where the question just becomes, how are you going to push through this? What are you going to choose to do? I think the minute they decided to come back, that signaled to me they felt like they could handle this in some capacity. And I actually think now that we're starting to see these protocols be tinkered with a bit more, they're looking at this, how can we make it a little easier for us to get these games in? Yes. While at the same time, getting that gate revenue and obviously protecting the players. I actually think they've done a great job protecting the players. And I think that was their first and foremost thing they should have been doing, obviously, Dave. I think now that the players have been pretty outspoken about, at least the ones I've seen publicly, you know, look, if I get tested and I'm, I'm positive, but I don't have any symptoms and my load, you know, management here is, isn't as high or levels isn't as high or however you want to read it, that the league is starting to feel comfortable that, okay, let's see if we can take that next step. And it took the, the CDC, though, to make that recommendation. That's kind of my point. Like, it did. It did. The trailblazer in here, if that's the right word, was the CDC. It wasn't the NHL or the NFL saying, yeah, we're just going to implement this new rule. Although I guess the NFL kind of did that. But. Yeah, and, and who, I think the CDC also, let's face it, I mean, they haven't been great the whole way through this pandemic as well. I mean, they've had to backtrack a bit. And so I think they're mm -hmm. learning as we are. And I think they've made some adjustments. And I think the league, in conjunction with that, have made some adjustments. And that's good to see because that means we're watching games, even though guys are sitting out. Uh, Taylor Radish and, and Cal Foot out. John Cooper and Belmar are back. And, yeah. of course, anything else uh, that comes our way in the next 30 minutes. Let's go to break. We will get to you. We've got Doug Plagans coming up from the Panthers play-by-play uh, -play crew. And we'll ask him what, what's going on with the Panthers. Where are they right now? Uh, Play-wise, and what's going on with their goaltending? Are there any uh, new uh, interesting situations going on there as well? We'll take a break. We'll come back. He is Dave Michigan. I am Greg Lanelli. Glad you're with us. It's a Thursday night. We're getting you set for Lightning and Panthers, and you can listen to it right here on Lightning Power Play. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. Boy, lots to digest here. Greg Linelli with you along with Dave Mishkin, Steve Ersnick's producing. Doug Plagans, he is the play-by-play -play man for the Florida Panthers Radio Network, is going to join us here in just a second. But it, it does feel like, Dave, not only are we talking hockey, but we have to talk about sometimes the medical side of things. And I know sometimes we get out of our comfort zone, but the, the medical side has forced us <laughs> to talk about mm -hmm. it because it's impacting so many things. And I look, wish we didn't have to talk I, about I know, it. But. I know. We do it to the best we can and, and keep people informed. And as we said before, John Cooper will be behind the bench. He talked about being in COVID protocol. And uh, one of the quotes coming out of it was, uh, what I felt during this time, I felt many times worse as, may, as many different times. I think if you ask most of the players, if not all of them, they will probably tell you the same thing. So basically, uh, he was okay. And uh, I think he's just glad to be behind the bench. But let's bring in Doug Plagans here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Doug, great to be with you. It does feel like we've had to become at least beginners when it comes to the medical field with COVID the last couple of years, the league also, I think changing as they get more information. And while this variant, obviously a little more contagious than the previous one, 
Do you get the sense that the league is starting to feel a bit more comfortable loosening the protocols and maybe understanding that this is something they can play through and the players and coaches and everybody else affiliated with these teams, you know, will be okay. Yeah. You know, that's what it seems like. And thanks for having me guys. But uh, yeah, you get that sense and you know, you hear from the guys who've had to go through the protocols and, and they all, you know, said they, they handled it fine. And uh, you know, everybody's being uh, continuing to be cautious and things like that. But I think it stems from, uh, from society as well. And, just over the course of, you know, the, the time that we've been dealing with all the different, uh, you know, with the, from going all the way back to the start, just uh, all the, the new information that we've been able to acquire along the way. And as you get new information, you're able to kind of uh, adjust the way that you handle things. And uh, for the Panthers, I mean, they had obviously a number of players going to COVID protocol. They had that pause, but they also had, a you know, a number of uh, key players that were out with injuries as well. And last night the Panthers played the Rangers had a four, three comeback win and uh, knock on wood. It was the, the healthiest lineup. The Panthers have been able to ice in quite some time with players coming back from protocol, as I said, but also guys coming back from injuries. So, uh, you know, maybe over the time that they were unable to, to play games. And then of course you had the holiday break attached to that. The Panthers were able to use that as kind of a, a recovery period in a number of different ways. And, uh, last night they they had again in many cases their optimal lineup on the ice. Andrew Burnett had more weapons at his disposal than he's had in quite some time. So uh, for the Panthers, uh, they were able to to make it through. And as I said, knock on wood, right now the healthiest they've been in a while. So Doug, the the Lightning Panthers, of course, saw each other twice early in the year, and kind of watching the Panthers from afar, it seems that. They are not quite as dialed in as they were, say, in the first six to seven weeks of the regular season. And I'm just wondering, like, of the of the following categories, where would you place kind of the the most impact? Was it the fact that it's just hard to maintain the level that they set at the start, and this is just one of these ebbs and flows over the course of a long regular season? Was it Quinville no longer being behind the bench? Was it Barkov being out, as we had talked about, I think he he's missed 12 of the last 13 before he came back last night, or even just beyond Barkov, just not having a regular lineup based on a lot of the injuries. I think elements of a couple of things that you mentioned there. I mean, first of all, the Panthers didn't have a regulation loss until November 8th. So, uh, you know, that was a few weeks into the season. As you know, the league's too Good. The old cliche is true. Anybody can beat anybody even any given night, uh, and it's impossible to win every single game over an 82-game season. So, uh, you know, at some point, uh, you know, things were going to even out a little bit. The Panthers came out of the gate, had that great start. Every team wants that for a reason so that you can build up the cushion for when you inevitably do have, uh, you know, a, a week where things don't go your way. Right before the pause, the Panthers had a game against the L.A. Kings that they lost where – you know, Mackenzie Weger was the only opening night, uh, or I should say that, you know, the, the he was he was the one regular back there on defense. And, and Lucas Carlson's kind of emerged as a regular, and he was in the group as well. But the, the rest of the defense corps that the Panthers suited up that night, and they came in and did a really admirable job. But uh, that, it just kind of illustrated the way that that night went. The Panthers had, uh, you know, four call-ups on the blue line. They were uh, two players short that night. Uh, in my time with the Panthers, uh, haven't seen the Panthers dress a, a shorthanded lineup. So, uh, you know, they had the deck stacked against them uh, that night, and they, they didn't get the win against an L.A. team that was 
playing pretty well that uh, I believe uh, just a night or two before that uh, pushed the push the lightning uh, you know the distance into into overtime so they had the underman lineup there for uh, for a little bit and of course you had some key players out the, the last couple of games before the pause um, the Panthers were you know they were without Barkov for a stretch of time Anthony Duclair worked his way back in, but he missed a chunk of time there as well. Uh, Gus Forsling had missed a couple of games uh, before the pause. Uh, you know, there were just a, there were a number of key players, uh, and not all COVID related. Um, you know, guys that uh, you know had other other ailments. Uh, you know, so the Panthers leading up to the pause just uh, didn't have that uh, that optimal lineup in there, and so a number of different uh, factors came into play. But uh, I think when you when you get right down to it, you, you look at last night's game and uh, the group that was on the ice against the Rangers last night. That was that was the group. That was the team that uh, you know was was on the ice when the Panthers got off to that hot start. Uh, and as I mentioned, to to see everything kind of come back uh, and fit back together the way that it uh, was when the when the season began and the Panthers had a, a really uh, you know just a, a really spirited victory last night just shows you really what this team's capable of. And again, that's why you want to have a good start because the Panthers did have to go through a bit of adversity and, uh, you know, uh, in, in a stretch where they weren't going to win every single night, it, they were able to make it through it because they had that, uh, you know, that luxury of uh, having banks and points early in the year. So I think it's a, a, a couple of different elements from a couple of different things you brought up there, Dave. But, uh, but again, as you know, plain and simple, the National Hockey League's just too good. You're not going to go 82-0. and 0, And I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, eventually, uh, you are going to drop a few games, but it's how you respond from those losses that uh, makes, a, you know, makes a, a great team. Doug Plagans joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Doug, from where you sit and where you call games, how's the goaltending looked? And are you starting to see maybe some separation between Bobrovsky and Knight? Well, you know, Sergei Bobrovsky and Spencer Knight's been good. And he's, you know, he's come in and played well. He's uh, he's a 20-year-old rookie who is mature beyond his years. And he's going to have a, a long career in the National Hockey League with, uh, with a lot of all-star appearances. But what we've seen this year is, Sergei Bobrovsky, much more often than not, uh, really exhibit an all-world level of goaltending. Um, you know, he's only got one loss on home ice this season. He's been outstanding at home. Uh, obviously, don't know who's going to be between the pipes tonight. We won't hear from Andrew Burnett until, I believe, his media availability coming up at 4.45 p.m. So we'll see what uh, direction they decide to go this evening uh, for the Panthers against Tampa Bay. But Sergei Bobrovsky's been outstanding. And last night was a prime example. Even though 4-3 final score doesn't look like a goaltender's duel necessarily, uh, Sergei Bobrovsky was better than Igor Shesterkin last night. And that was uh, the big difference in the game because both teams had very good scoring chances uh, you know, time and time again throughout the contest. And Sergei Bobrovsky ended up being better than Shesterkin in the end. He helped lock down the win. And that's been the big thing with Sergei Bobrovsky is, you know, if he's if he's getting a shutout, if he's only allowing one, he's been brilliant. You can tell. But the other thing with Sergei Bobrovsky, he's got that real knack for even on a night if he gives up three or four, he'll make that timely save that makes the big difference in a game late in the third or in overtime or something like that. He's got a real knack for not letting uh, you know not letting a goal get into his head. So uh, you know he's been uh, he's been outstanding for the Panthers, and again he's displaying that all world level that uh, that you expect to see out of a two time Vezina winner. One of the new guys that came to the Panthers during the offseason was Sam Reinhart. Looks like he, he fit in well, at least when we saw him in the preseason and the start of the year. Has he maintained that? Yeah, he's been really good. He's uh, He can play in the middle. He can play on the wing. That was something that made him attractive to uh, Bill Zito and the Panthers. But he, he's been able to 
slot up and down the lineup. He can play with a number of different guys. He can make an impact on the power play. He's a setup guy, but he's got a good shot as well. And, uh, you know, when he gets hot, he gets uh, he, he gets hot. So uh, Sam Reinhart's been a, a regular contributor throughout the season. He's been consistent and, uh, and you know, a guy that was excited to be a Panther. Uh, came over from, a, you know, a Buffalo Sabres team that's in transition. Uh, a little bit of an adjustment because – he hadn't been anywhere else but Buffalo during his career and uh, came over to the Panthers again, was excited to be a part of this group, knew what they were capable of. And, you know, it was a, it was a big acquisition for a number of different reasons, obviously a talented player who can put the puck in the net, but uh, for a team that returned a, a vast majority of the lineup uh, from last season, not a lot of roster changes for this group year over year, but, when the team that is coming back sees management go out and, you know, add a key piece like Sam Reinhart, uh, you know, it really goes uh, a long way as a, a jolt of energy for everybody. And uh, he's, he's been an exciting player and uh, he's developed into a fan favorite in Sunrise. A guy who I think we've all been impressed watching him the couple of times, even during the prospect camp was Anton Lindell. How's he progressed this year, Doug? And is he somebody that they're going to give, maybe potentially more minutes to understanding that when you have a full complement of players, that is a tough lineup to crack. Yeah. Just uh, the thing with Anton Lindell, this is, this is a special player. This is a guy who, uh, I mean, it sounds cliche, but uh, the sky really is the limit for Anton Lindell. He's a young guy, drew a ton of praise when the Panthers selected him a couple of years back. And, you know, as time's gone on, um, this is a guy who's just mature beyond his years. Bill Zito's described him and uh, and summed him up as a, a cerebral player. You can just tell how how well he thinks the game, and he you know he fits that uh, mold of so many of the great Finnish players that we've seen over the years. Just a really responsible, fundamental two way player. But the big thing that stands out for me is you know from the outset this year. This is a guy that's a rookie. You know, still learning his way in the in the National Hockey League. But from the get go. He has been the Panthers' time on ice leader among forwards as far as shorthanded time on ice goes. And he's been among uh, forward leaders in the National Hockey League in shorthanded time on ice. So to be a rookie in the National Hockey League and get that kind of trust and be handed that kind of responsibility from, uh, from your coaching staff with all the talented players that the Panthers have and the guys that they could use in that situation – that just shows you what uh, what they think of Anton Lindell and the way that he processes the game. It, it, he's one of those guys. There are a lot of rookies that come in and, you know, maybe when they're you know, if they're not putting the puck in the net, if they're not getting on the score sheet, uh, you know, you might not notice them as much or they might not be making an impact on the game. Anton Lindell, you know, he's he's been producing regularly and contributing points regularly, but he could go six straight games without a point. But every game, he's making an impact in a positive way. And that's tough for, uh, for a lot of young guys to do, uh, you know, to go out there and make an impact on games even when they're not getting points. Last night he had a big goal to get the offense going. He can certainly do that, and he's gotten a little bit of power play time. But uh, everything he does, his play away from the puck, uh, the way he contributes uh, when the team's shorthanded, it just shows you what he's capable of, again, how he processes the game at such a young age and, uh, and what the coaching staff thinks of him long term because uh, to give him that kind of responsibility as a rookie, that uh, that tells you something. Understanding, Doug, that uh, you personally have not seen every team, nor have I, the Lightning haven't played every team yet, but what clubs that you have seen so far this year have jumped out at you as maybe particularly impressive or maybe impressed you more than you would have thought heading into that game? Yeah, you look at uh, you look across the league. The 
I think the, the St. Louis Blues are a talented team. Uh, you know, looking at some of the Western Conference teams, the, the Colorado Avalanche are as advertised. Uh, that's a that's a really good team, naming off a, a couple of Western opponents there. But, uh, you know, the teams that we're familiar with out east, the Carolina Hurricanes are the real deal. Um, the New York Rangers, I think that's a team that's dangerous. And you saw last night, I think, where the Panthers separated themselves. And the, the Panthers and Rangers have played each other twice this year. Uh, each team has a 4-3 win over the other, and the home team won both matchups. You could argue that the Panthers outplayed the Rangers in the game that they lost at Madison Square Garden back in November, but Igor Shosturkin uh, stole that one and helped the Rangers hang on. Uh, but I think what set the Panthers apart from the Rangers last night was the the, the ability that the Panthers have on the third and fourth lines. I think the Rangers' uh, top two lines are incredibly dangerous. If uh, if Lafreniere and uh, Kako take that next step and become more consistent and really produce in Philip Heedle to an extent, the Rangers could be very dangerous, and that makes them dangerous too, considering that uh, you know everything they need uh, potentially they have right there. They're just waiting for a couple of guys to to really uh, take that next step. But that's a good team. That's a dangerous team, and with uh, one of the best goaltenders in the world, a team that's a tough out every single night, and that's going to be in the in the mix in the Eastern Conference for the next number of years. Uh, but that's a that's a team that's caught my eye. Uh, you look at the Atlantic Division, though, and this is just a, a dangerous division. And uh, obviously, you look at what's what's happening in Detroit and what's happening in Ottawa. Those teams are building it the right way. And, uh, of course, the Panthers and the Lightning and the Leafs. We haven't seen the Leafs yet. Uh, very intrigued to, to see them. Uh, but you look at the way this division's playing out. This is uh, this is one of the toughest divisions, if not the toughest division in the National Hockey League. But yeah, that's just a handful of the teams that uh, that have caught my eye so far this season. A, a couple of Western teams. I mentioned there and the teams here in the East that you expect to be in the mix. And, uh, you know, I, I'd be, re- be remiss if I didn't mention the, the Tampa Bay Lightning. That's a, a very good hockey team over on the other side of the state and a team that uh, looks poised again to, to make another deep run. So we're really excited for this matchup this evening between the Panthers and Tampa Bay. Doug, this is totally your uh, opinion. And I, obviously there's a lot of information we don't know before we let you go. But do you get the sense, and I know it's a long way away, but once we do get to the playoffs, do you think even the protocols we have in place now will be loosened even more? I've got a hard time thinking that a Barkov or a player from the Lightning who uh, is a unbelievable talent in a playoff-type game uh, would have to sit if they test positive and be out for a few games, understanding what the protocol is now and what it possibly could be. Do you get the sense that... We may be in a completely different spot in a positive way once the playoffs begin uh, in a few months, or do you think it's going to be kind of status quo? Well, you sure hope so, and uh, you know I think it was a, a step the other day. I think we all saw the news from you know the, with the CDC determining that uh, you know the isolation period can be what was it five days instead of ten days uh, in the event of a, a positive and and things like that. Uh, you know, it seems like everything's uh, you know heading in the right direction, and I, I think that. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind, and this is just, you know, me with my fingers crossed, just, uh, you know, keeping, keep, just staying positive here, but uh, it seems like things uh, get a little better in the spring uh, and as the weather warms up across the country anyway. So you hope that near the end of the regular season and, uh, and into the into the playoffs, uh, you know, things just uh, across the country do look uh, better because, you know, you'll have the, the warmer weather and, and things like that. So you hope that uh, that plays a role as well. But I think... Uh, I think we're heading that way. I think uh, the way that everybody's 
seem to, you know, handle this. Anybody who's been in protocol seems like everybody's handling this situation, uh, you, you know, pretty well, all things considered. So uh, I, I think, fingers crossed, it, you, you feel like it's trending that way, and you hope that it's going to con- continue to, to trend that way. And, uh, you know, hopefully uh, hopefully that, uh, that light at the end of the tunnel is not too far away. Doug, great job as always. We appreciate it. Stay safe out there and uh, have fun on the call tonight. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks, right. Doug. Doug Plagan's joining us there on Power Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. We'll just keep it here to end the show. We have a few more minutes, and uh, we're getting you set for the game tonight, Lightning and Panthers. Again, if you're just joining us, Taylor Radish, Kyle Foot out, COVID protocol, John Cooper and pierre Edward Belmar back in. We'll hear from John Cooper later on in the pregame show uh, tonight, a little after six thirty, and Dave, you're going to be on the call with Chief. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you guys aren't case, traveling. You'll be yeah. The you'll be fans here. didn't hear us talk about it yesterday, but yeah, we are we are back home in the studio for road games. Hopefully, in the short term, but at least at least for the time being, we will say. Yes. By the way, Darren Radish gets to make his NHL debut tonight. His parents won't as be able his to be brother. There. Did you yeah, see his that? brother gets COVID. <laughs> Won't be in the lineup, and I guess both of his parents got COVID. He said he's the only one in his family that's not that doesn't have COVID, or at least tested positive for it. Yes, and um, it it sounds like Dave, everybody affiliated affiliated here with the Tampa Bay Lightning, whether it's been a player or maybe some family members. Although I don't know necessarily, I just got the sense that everybody was okay in the Radish household. That maybe asymptomatic is yeah. Is what well, that's what, Coop what said, we're reading. Right? Yeah, that's what, that's what we're reading here. So that that's certainly positive. Uh, no pun intended there. Uh, Bob says, Greg, I agree with your comments that the NHL was working with the government. My complaint is the consistency throughout the league is the protocol. He didn't get into more of maybe what he would have done. Well, is he saying that like teams in Canada have a stricter protocol than, than teams in the U.S.? Is that what he's I getting can't, at? I can't interpret that. that. That very well could be. I mean, again, we've... We can just read the tea leaves with some of the players that have been outspoken about that. But um, well, I look, I, I think you could go one of two ways. You could either have protocols that meet the local standards everywhere, meaning that you're going to have stricter protocols, or you loosen the protocols, understanding that in some areas they're going to be far looser than in others. I think most players would sign up for the latter. I think at this, Dave. At, I think, and I want to be fair. I think at this point they would. Maybe early on they wouldn't. Yeah. I don't know. I think at this point they based on what we're got hearing enough, from players. Yeah, and I think they've got enough information to be informed. Look again, not that the vax is the be all end all, but all of these guys are. Some have the booster. I think they're learning more information about all of these things. I think they probably. And again, I, I want to reemphasize: these guys are in the prime of their careers in tip top shape. There are exceptions to every rule, Dave. We understand that, but for the most part, these guys. Very small chance of something catastrophic happening to them. I think they're processing all of this information as they go, and I think they probably feel pretty comfortable with where they are. Bob also had a a secondary question asking us if we were concerned about the Lightning's defensive breakdowns this year. And maybe he's, you know, citing. Well, this year is, is not. I would not be concerned about their defensive breakdowns this year. And we said they hit a stretch. It was after they started 2-3-1, and one, certainly. But 
prior to the last little bit here. You know when it was? It was when they had that that stretch of home games. They played seven out of eight at home. We were talking about how well they were defending. And then things got a little looser, but some of that was the schedule because they had to play seven out of eight on the road, and they were traveling all over the place. And I don't think that they have been as tight defensively in the games. Like, you look at the Montreal game, they were not tight defensively. The Vegas game, they were not tight defensively. But I thought they did pretty well in the games against the Kings and Senators at home, if I'm remembering those games correctly. I know it feels like it was a while ago. So, you know, not every game has been one where you want to dissect the tape and and go through if you're John Cooper and and go through all of these different elements that that you feel you need to improve upon. And you know, play- but I think there have been more of those games more recently, yeah. which is why we keep saying like they found a way, they found a way. That is not a a sustainable formula for long-term success if you are continually having to overcome defensive lapses. And I, I but think, that's a very high – I'm sorry, Greg, but that's no, a that's very, okay. very high standard. And it's kind of like we were talking about with Doug. It's unrealistic to expect that you were just going to be airtight defensively for 82 straight games. I think that's that, that was the point I was trying to make. You, you hit the nail on the head. I, it's really hard sorry, to do I that. Sorry, I your No, it's, it's hard to do physically. I mean, it just is. It's I, You want these guys to be robots. And they get paid a lot of money. You expect perfection every night. And obviously, we know that's not realistic. But they playing, do have 46 points. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not. More than any other look, team in it, the league right now. Dave, nobody, if they listen to the show regularly for the last two years, we're not going to nitpick at their game to the point where we're looking at this and we're concerned. We've often heard this, this team's going to be judged in the playoffs. In the playoffs, they have shown to be very good defensively when it matters. I think through an 82-game season, just really hard to play good defense the whole time it takes a lot of energy let's be let's be practical about it and you know let's face it when you have Vasilevsky behind you it's nice to have that security blanket if you don't have your best performance defensively so not concerned also understand the injuries that all factors in and you know kind of that's that's where we are Bob to clarify said just saying that there is no consistency on what games are postponed and what games okay. are allowed to be played. The league should have set a standard as to what constitutes a postponement regardless well, to the team. I'll tell you one complaint. Yeah, I, I, that's a fair point. I think that's fair, but the league has looked at each individual game to make that determination. Based on what Doug said, maybe that Kings-Panthers game should have been postponed and it wasn't. Well, you know, but, you know one thing that is starting to creep up that the league's going to need to take a look at, and I'm not sure they can, but certainly it's... It's been a problem, I think, with these late cancellations, these late postponements, are the fans that are spending money and whether it's getting a refund, maybe not getting a refund, particularly with hotels, Dave. A lot of, a lot of people got tickets around the holidays to go see their favorite team play. Mm-hmm. Some of them had to travel. Kids home from college, that's their Christmas gift. Let's go to – let's make the five-hour drive and let's go see – Philadelphia let's go see the Rangers you know if you're from Pittsburgh or if you're somewhere down here and whatever you you want to see the the Tampa Bay Lightning you're coming from Jacksonville or Orlando what I'm saying is I'm starting to read a few more stories about the hesitancy moving forward about purchasing tickets because games have been postponed right right up to 
the puck dropping, not giving people enough time perhaps to to make adjustments, Dave. And I'll be curious to see what that's like moving forward. But sometimes they, they're not going to know until they get the test results from that morning. Understood. What Understood. a team's roster is going to look like. Understood. Which which goes. But back. hopefully with the ta- well, Greg. Hopefully with the taxi squads. Like we're not going to see as many postponements. That was one of the reasons well, why they put this in there. And and the 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 argument to that is okay. If I'm paying top dollar to see Barkov, and he's not in, I don't want to see this. I don't want to see a bunch of guys from the taxi squad play. That and that might be just something a consumer is going to have to deal with this year. And, I'm not. Ta- and, I'm not telling you that's right. Well, and we talked about the Montreal game the yeah. other night. That was a very entertaining game. And yes. there were 15 players out. It was. For getting injuries. It was. 15 players and two coaches on the Lightning side were not available due to listen having COVID. I think that's a decision as a consumer you have to make with where you want your money to go. And are you comfortable going to a game with the possibility that you may not see everybody you want to see because of the protocols that are in place right now. That is just something people are going to have to digest. Be a curious question to ask our audience if that would prevent them from maybe buying tickets in advance to see their favorite team play. Have they been hesitant or are you in a situation where it doesn't matter? Hockey's back and you're just glad somebody's playing. I think that's a a fun. Yeah. And I'm actually glad at this point, I'm going to knock on wood right now, but I am glad at this point that the Lightning have mostly gotten their games in. I agree. I mean, I haven't (laughs) looked at Calgary's schedule, and I know they're going to have the Olympic window now Mm -hmm. to make up some of these games. Yeah. But teams that are having to make up six, seven, eight, nine games, we talked about this last year. Frequency of games, the grind of that schedule. It's a lot. It's a lot. So I was looking at look the at, Panthers yeah. before we sign off here. Yeah. So I, I I saw they had these five guys. I think it was five went on the COVID list. They all only missed one game yeah. because they had games postponed after that Kings game. And then by the time they returned, all the players were out of isolation. So you're like, boy, the Panthers kind of lucked out here, right? Like they had they had it come through their locker room, at least the first wave, if you will, where guys got it, but they only missed one game because they had games postponed. This is kind of what Bob is getting at, I think. And then they were able to come back for the next game. But the flip side of that is now they have to make up four games. Yeah. When are they making up those games? Mm-hmm. What is that going to do to add to their, you know, their schedule grind? And you certainly want to do that grind with your regulars, not taxi squad players, not to well, take it, I knock at them. That. Yeah, yeah, not to and take. So that's I mean, the flip side. Yeah, right, if you're right. getting the games in now, while you may have players out, you may have taxi squad guys. But the flip side is, if you don't play the game, you're you're punting down the road. Like you are going to be making up those games with travel at some point later. I think, and this is just a uh, this is a hot take before we send, sign off. I think with those games being played in a short amount of time for teams that have to make things up, I think you could see a scenario where the league loosens some protocols to allow guys to play and not wait necessarily if they test positive and are asymptomatic. Because now you start getting into the integrity of the game. I mean, there is that component to it. You know, if you have multiple guys out still and you're playing all these games in a row, but then you have, you know, six guys from your AHL squad up there. And, you know, it's it's a competitive disadvantage. And that's 
understanding this is where we are, but things can change. I bet that gets looked at a little bit more once these games start to pile up for some of these teams that have, uh, I think, a huge challenge in front of them making up these games. Well, partner, we are going to uh, talk about the game a bit more tonight with the pregame starting at 630. You've got the call with Chief at 7. Yep. And this should be a good one tonight. And then, of course, we're going to talk about it tomorrow, noon to 1. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Thanks to Steve Versnick. Thanks to Doug Plagans. And thanks to you for listening. We always appreciate it. I am Greg Linelli. It's been Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play.